welcome to the Public Library Podcast. Shh, sorry. Here's your host and podcast librarian, award-winning poet, future best-selling author, and host of one of the most listened-to radio shows in America, Helen Little. Hello, book lovers, and welcome to another episode of the Public Library Podcast. Today, we have a very special author. J.M. Norwood has penned three books. She's a music lover, and I know she's excited because she stayed up all night. (laughs) (laughs) Haven't had any sleep, have you? (laughs) Not much. (laughs) A couple hours. Well, welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me, Helen. I'm so glad that you're Mm -hmm. here. We've got lots we can talk about. Okay. If I pulled up the credits on an album, because Mm -hmm. I know you're a music lover, Uh and it was about your life, what would it tell us about you and your path? It would tell you that I love Stevie Wonder and Level 42. And really, their music is the soundtrack to my life. Okay. Name a song. I mean, my, the first song I ever heard, I had to be three, four years old. Um, and it has set me on a path. And I, I hear music, and then the scenes come into my head. I can see, you know, if I'm writing, the scenes come into my head. And <laughs> Well, it's so funny because the first songs that I remember were Syncopated Clock uh-huh. and um, Steve Lawrence because that's what my parents were listening to. Okay, all right. Yeah. So you're well-rounded. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> wow. Now, how did your love for music mix with your love for books and writing and reading? Well, because I, I would hear a, hear a song, and actually that's pretty much how I wrote all three of the books. It's a trilogy. And I would listen to a song, I'd hear a song, I'd just put my headphones on, put on some Stevie Wonder, put on some Level 42, and let the music form a scene or a dialogue in my mind. And I would just listen to it over and over again. I could like, you know, so I could capture the scene, the dialogue, and then write it down. Like, literally, while I'm listening, write it down. Like, there's, that's what I'd say, I even mentioned them in the credits of the book, you know, to, you know, shout them out that, you know, the music, you know, influenced me. And, you know, as far as the scenes and the writing. What a fascinating process. Yes, I know. It sounds, it sounds, I guess, different, but it's like there's all, I got my own music video going on. Now, where did you grow up? I grew up everywhere. I was raised in California, and then we moved to D.C. area, uh, fifth grade, and then I was there. I went to Howard University. In that process of growing up, you know, where, when was it that you were bitten by the book bug? Oh, well, I was an avid reader since forever. Okay. You know, forever kindergarten, but age 13, 14. Um, and what was the book that changed your life? Oh, C.S. Lewis, uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Oh, my God. That's mine. <laughs> <laughs> I was done. D O N E. To this done. day. Yeah. I love a wardrobe. Yeah. That one set me off, and I was like, wow, this guy, you know, has his own universe, and, you know, Oh, it was just amazing. He just I set it off. So then I was influenced to write, make up my own characters and my own, you know, little world and little universe. And so, you know, I have, I still have some of the old notes from when I was, you know, 14, 15. And, you know, like a lot of kids that are creative, like you're in government class, but you're really in the back, you know, writing your stories. Now, did you journal? I didn't really journal. I would okay. just, I think my journal is all the notes because I kept most of just the rough drafts, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from unfinished stories, unstarted stories. And I had a writing partner, me and my best friend Dawn, you know, she had her own world and her characters. So sometimes we would have called a clash of the characters because in those days, Clash of the Titans was a right. big deal. So we'd have clash of the characters and then we'd write like write something together. And, you know, my characters and her characters would argue and get in a fight and all this other stuff. So is that part of what burned inside of you, creating that desire to write? Where did that come from? I think it's genetic. I think a lot of uh, my mother's side of the family is like really in, you know, the arts. Okay. You know, be it 
art, you know, television production, music. What side of the brain is creative? Whatever side of the brain that creates I think it's stuff. left, but don't quote me. <laughs> <laughs> that side of the brain is, like, totally my mother's side. And, you know, I think, like, she um, got a master's in English. So there was, I was, like, there was books all over the house. Same thing here. You know, a lot of classics, um, history, philosophy, you know, Shakespeare and stuff. And so on a hot, you know, summer day in D.C. when it's, like, 90 degrees and 99% humidity, you just want to sit in the basement and just read a book. Yeah, my my mother was a librarian and a teacher. Okay, so and my father was a college professor, and our family room was lined with books. Yeah, so it's like lots of learning in there. Yes, and you know that makes you well-rounded. I mean, reading just takes you—you you can just travel. Exactly. Or you, know, you just get lost, and that's why when I write, I try to appreciate um, the reader, and so that led to the trilogy getting published. Now, am I correct that you wrote your first book by hand? Well, long form, yeah. Okay, so you wrote The Twelfth Window, Heroes and Angels, and Mm -hmm. The Providence. Mm -hmm. The Twelfth Window, Mm -hmm. you wrote with a pen. Mm -hmm. Get out of here. Yeah. The the monitor and the typewriter is different from just handwriting it. I I can't explain. I can't read my handwriting. I could never do that. (laughs) I was going to say, but if you can can read, you know your own. No. No? I can't. I I journal. Okay. And I can't read any of it. Oh, dude. Well, I mean, <laughs> I can read some of some it. Of it but yeah. it was like an old school because I did that when I was a teenager. So it was kind of like doing it that way brings it back. I kind of bring myself back to my you know, like super creative, like not afraid to, you know, try different things. 14 year old mind. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Now, the other two books, did you write them that way as well? Or are you? Mm. OK. Did you set out to write a trilogy? I wanted to do a book of seven. It sounds ambitious. Right now it's a trilogy. Very um, C.S. Lewis. Yeah, I got to, you know, I was like, he did seven, I got to do seven. That's just, that's just <laughs> the rules. But I'm like the black C.S. Lewis. Uh, just writing a book, it takes, it takes a lot, you know, because between my, you know, full-time job and, you know, my church activities, traveling, and my books. And it's like a book is like a child almost. It's like a yeah. second. <laughs> so you have to nurture it when the inspiration comes when you're writing. You got to, like, take it. So we're going to take a break, (laughs) and we come back. Maybe you can read a little bit for us. All right. I'd be happy to. Okay. Go ahead. Turn the page. We'll be right back with more of the Public Library Podcast. Check out other episodes of the Public Library Podcast, available each week, a place to check out books. I'm back with J.M. Norwood. She's author of the trilogy, The Twelfth Window, Heroes and Angels, and The Provenance. Um, Tell us a little bit about the books, the trilogy itself. Well, it's Christian allegory, like a lot like the way the Narnia books were. Mm-hmm. A girl and her friends realize that they're in the center of a prophecy that's about to be fulfilled, and they don't realize it until after it happens that they're in the center of it. And the Heroes and Angels is the follow-up. Fast forward like about seven years after the ending of the Twelfth Window um, and how their, their lives have been transformed by the fulfillment of this prophecy. So they're dealing with the political fallout of how they lead, how they're leading their lives. And then the Providence fast forward about fifteen years to show the remaining, you know, members of the group and how their lives have been transformed. And that's what you're gonna read, some of the Providence? Yes. Okay, let's do it. Okay. Richard gunned the engine on the last leg of the long journey back to Fregar, having traversed four hours worth of desert terrain. The six lane highway sloped gradually upwards before him, steeper as it curved around the mountain peaks and valleys. Once he was over the bend, He'd be wheeling down the other side of the mountain range and into the green-farmed valley where lay the town of Figari, perched on the shore of the famous Sun Sea that sprawled out thousands of distances along the path the sun had left three hours prior. 
Richard changed the radio station in his car to his favorite local broadcast and rolled his window down, anxious to breathe in the leafy, moist, sea-kissed air. The quilted pattern of streetlights dotted the flat land below. Richard rested his foot just onto the brake and carefully nosed into the far right lane, just so that he could drive more slowly to relish the sight. It was his second favorite view, next to that of the recognizable porch light of his home in Ingleside after a long day of work. The noisy roar of the air blowing through Richard's window woke Miggy and Beacon. Kim glanced at the panorama below as it slowly rose to meet them and turned her attention back to her page texter, typing furiously, waiting for an impatient moment for the response, and then continuing her rap-tap-tapping without it. Sounds like someone's in trouble, Richard noted. He is. Well, he's not, but he will hear from me tonight when we get home, Kim growled. She pounded more words into her page texter. She was angry, not just because of the request, but also because she had been looking forward to a nice, stretched-out slumber. Vexation brought insomnia to her bed, and she knew she'd be awake until dawn, playing and replaying the conversation in her mind long after it had ended. "'Who is it?' may I ask, came Miggy's voice from the shadowy back seat. Beacon yawned and stretched. "'My kid half-brother,' Kim replied dryly. "'He's apparently coming to town at the end of the week.' when you all know we'll be really busy, and he wants to stay at the stone house. Men are allowed to stay there in the third wing, if that's what you're worried about, Beacon answered, yawning again. Kim's tempers were growing quicker with her age, she noted to herself. Not this man. He's quite the player. He'll walk out with half the sisters pining for him a week after he's gone. Not that he cares. Only cares for himself. Surprised you haven't got some kind lady in Figari to stay with, Kim Page texted him. Chase isn't that bad at all, Richard said, edging the car into the center lane as they wheeled toward their exit, just five more distances away, according to the highway sign that whizzed past them. Yes, he is, Kim replied. She paused and glowered at him. You just don't see it because you're a guy. Richard rolled his eyes. We're almost home, and then you two can argue about it on the phone. Give that poor Paige Texer some rest, Richard said, shaking his head. Oh, look, how convenient. He's accepted a new job with Xcron up the shore from Figari. He should have kept Mom's old house, Kim groused. Call you when I'm home, she responded to Chase on her device. How prescient that his dad named him Chase, because that's what he's good at. I'm tired, Miggy said plainly. Richard and Miggy exchanged weary glances in the rearview mirror. I really don't see the big deal, Beacon said flatly. Look, here's our exit. Hold your fire until we're indoors. I like this song, Richard said. He reached for the stereo dial and amplified the volume. I think I have an idea, Beacon yelled over the music. Richard waved his hand to Beacon and then put his index finger over his lips. Beacon leaned back in her seat and exchanged shrugging glances with Miggy. Another few minutes and the song was over. Richard muted the radio just as they pulled up to the last traffic light before home. The area was pitch dark except for the red and white glowing of the stop signals. With his window down, he could make out the crashing of the ocean waves in the distance. Once they had left the signal, Richard nosed to the end of the street, turned left, and made another quick left into the paved lot next to the stone house. Home, Miggy exclaimed. Kim jumped out of the car before Richard shut off the engine. Then she strode across the lawn and into the house. Richard shook his head. Love those family tiffs, Richard chuckled. Is it really as bad as she says? Miggy asked as they clambered out of the car. The three of them carried the items from the meal across the lawn and into the stone house. Well, he's the opposite of Taps, put it that way, except he's just as smart. 
I think he'd make a great astrophysicist the way Taps once was, Richard grunted as he set the wooden box inside his office. Ha! Beacon replied flatly as she could. She felt that Dorman Tapson had been discussed enough for one day. Well, I'm going straight to sleep. Miggy and Richard, see you in the morning, Beacon said as the three of them ambled past Kim, who was already on the phone in her office, continuing the acrimonious conversation with her half-brother. Oh, wow. The visual on it was amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) So you have this demanding job. How did you manage to turn out three books? Weekends, holidays, holidays, weekends, and sometimes taking time off. Just sometimes you got to take, if you see you have a light schedule, it's like, you know what? I'm going to take, you know, the Friday and the Monday off. So, I mean, I've been asked that a lot. Commitment. Commitment. Even if, you know, my Sundays would be like my strongest writing day. I write on the train. I love writing on the train. I love writing when I'm moving. Oh. Um, oh whether it's different. a plane or a train, but I, I ride a train every day. I don't know why it is so soothing to me. You think it's because of the people around you? And I can tune like them out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not aware of the people. Wow. I thought about, like, you know, when I would travel cross-country, but it's just the scenery, even if you just had, you know, on, when you have to take a break or like that, just the scenery that you're going by in, a, in the train just could be, you know, influence enough. Like, yes, absolutely. Like scenes. Hashtag scenes. Hashtag scenes. <laughs> so what are you reading now? I'm reading uh, history. I'm reading some Hilaire Belloc. I can't remember pronounce his name right now. And then I'm reading a history of Reformation in, in England and Ireland. Interesting. Yeah, they're both history books. I'm an Anglophile. I'll admit it. Hashtag England. <laughs> um, so I'm just super fascinated with the history of England, especially the Tudor dynasties. Do you have a preference for the digital format versus paperback or hardback? Or I like the digital version because... I can sync the book across all of my devices. If the charge dies on one, I can go to another one. I like paper. I no just paper. like the way it sounds, the way it feels, the way it smells. Yeah. I mean, I, I do, I, you know, I use um, my iPad and my phone, mm-hmm. um, and I have a lot of digital titles. But it's, to me, I, I'm tactile, so I like to touch it. Yeah. It's, I mean, the whole... <laughs> <laughs> right. Um <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I know. Sorry. We digress. <laughs> we digress. Um, I mean, I, I respect the book, and that's why I, you know, the covers for my books, I took care to, you know, make sure that they would stand out, right. like, at the bookstore. I'm, I'm the kind of person, I do judge a book by its cover. If I I'm, do, too. And so I'm the sucker for the sci-fi fantasy uh, section mm-hmm. in the bookstore, because the genre of my books are, they're science fiction, fantasy, it's like three genres. It's like it's young adult, but it's also science fiction fantasy, but it's also Christian allegory. I like that you've kind of created your own lane with him. That's very unique. Yeah. You know, it's it was a, it was a very scary thing to do. When you submit your books to, like, contests and stuff, you got to check off a genre. Like, right. And I guess as an African-American author, I guess writing, you know, science fiction fantasy and melding it with a young adult, I don't think it's been done before by a black woman. Probably not. We're going to take another break. And when I come back, I want your advice Mm -hmm. for the busy person who has a book in them. Yes. But doesn't know how to make it happen. And we're going to have some fun. All right. Okay. Hold on to that library card. The Public Library Podcast will continue in a moment. Oh, we're back with J.M. Norwood here at the Public Library Podcast. Mm -hmm. And I wanted you to give a little advice to those who are busy people, Mm -hmm. got a book in them, Mm -hmm. but they don't really know how to make those things happen. I mentioned the word commitment, but you say. I say when the inspiration hits, have pen and some kind of post-it or something to dash down that idea on the spot. Okay. Because it might go away. 
and then you'll never get in that space again. It's happened to me. It happened to me the other and day. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, I'm going to remember that. No, you're no, not. you're not going to remember. So write everything down that comes to your mind that's inspiration. Um, don't be afraid to, if you have the means, rent a hotel room for yourself. Bring the laptop and shut the world out and get down to writing. And find things that inspire you. Get into that uh, environment and let it take you over. I feel like those are that's advice that I have. And you'd be surprised where inspiration comes from. It can come from anywhere. Anywhere. As soon as you get inspiration, write it down. Any thought, dialogue, scene, anything. Now, did you self-publish? I did. Uh, I did it before it was cool. Now it's cool. Yeah. Before it was kind of like a stigma, but now it's a thing. And actually, Chicken Soup for the Soul was a self-publish. I did not know mm-hmm. that. And it got picked it turned up. Turned into so. a franchise. Yeah. So what's next for you? So I figured the next thing I could do is turn the trilogy into screenplays. Right. Because I have the app for that to format the screenplay. Because nobody else better than to write the screenplay than me. And it seems like that's else. where all um, content in television and movies is coming from anyway. It's from books. Yeah. Okay, let's play a game okay. of Would You Rather. Okay. <laughs> Would you rather listen to music or write? I'd rather listen to music because I could write later. Would you rather spend time on the East Coast or the West Coast? Your preference in general. West Coast. West Coast. No okay. Um, would you rather ski or lay on the beach? Lay on the beach. Same time. here. <laughs> now, if you could visit an imaginary place in the literary world, oh. where would you go? You know what would be interesting? And I don't know why this came to my head. The Iliad. Wow. Like, that would be really interesting. That's a good imaginary trip. Yeah. Coming back to where we are right now, my question is this. Is there more in this series on the horizon for us? The seed to the fourth book is buried in the closing pages of the third one. Are you still sticking with seven? I still want to do seven because the 14-year-old in me would not forgive the current age (laughs) me. (laughs) Cough, cough, um, if I didn't do seven. So there's got to be some way I can do it. You know, it's just I had like some ideas that, you know, I could definitely kind of roll with. Excellent. Yeah. So how can people connect with you? You know, do you have social media ways that they can find you if they want to see the cover of the book that you just talked about Mm -hmm. or if they want to buy your books Mm -hmm. or do you have a website? How do they how do they find this trilogy and you and me? Well, um, I can give out my author email is the Providence 2016 at Gmail dot com. Um, you can buy the Twelfth Window, Heroes and Angels, and the Providence on Amazon. Just look under J.M. Norwood and then type in the title. I do have a Facebook page for the Providence. And on Twitter, you can find me at Jen Boogie, J-E-N-B-O-O-G-I-E. J.M. Norwood, I'm so glad you spent glad part you of the afternoon. Me. Thank you for having me. It's a blessing. And like I said, I'm like, I can go to sleep now because I was like pacing. <laughs> Wait till you get home, though. Wait till I get home? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to sleep on the train now. Another show in the books. Join us for the next episode of the Public Library Podcast, a place to check out books. iHeartRadio exclusive.